Um, second announcement is, uh, will today be our last Bible study or next Friday? Um, and, and it's fine. I, I've, uh, okay, good. Well, the next Friday, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the 25th. The reason why I ask really is to see if, you know, if people are heading out of town early, but it doesn't really matter. Um, so yeah. I, basically, if everyone was going to be gone next Friday, I wouldn't have it, but it doesn't look like anyone's going to be gone. So we'll have it next Friday. In fact, next Friday, I planned, I planned our endings, you know, the endings of the Gospels, because next week we're going to be uh, um, applying the last four weeks then to our personal resurrection stories. So I think along the way you maybe have been thinking about those, but next week will be a little bit more explicit. All right, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about the Gospel of John, and uh, go ahead and, and turn to the Gospel of John, and we'll just start at uh, chapter 20. Now, again, this is similar to the Gospel of Luke. It's a long ending, so we're not going to dive into it much uh, specifically, but we're going to kind of talk more story-wise, narratively. So, um, you know, there's going to be no Greek language study today or anything like that. We're going we're to talk more about stories. Um, but one thing last week that we didn't really f- quite finish, and that was the Gospel of Luke. And I just, I just wanted to kind of just remind us of this, because the Gospel of Luke obviously ends uh, with, with Acts. I mean, and what the great thing is how Acts ends the story is Paul is in Rome, little, you know, geography, history lesson. Rome is the seat of power. It's the most powerful place in the entire world. In a sense, it's, it's like the New York City of uh, ancient times. And Paul is in the center of the power seat, literally on his way to see Caesar carrying the gospel. So as Luke ends, Jesus says to the apostles, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and then in Acts, then it says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Acts finishes with Paul at the end of the world um, in Rome. But at the same time, what's going to happen to Paul? And and, and it's a good presumption that everyone knows how Acts or Paul ends. So he, he dies, right? He, he dies in Rome. The thing is, though, is that Acts actually doesn't end with Paul's death. And that's very important because Paul, as he is in kind of house arrest, I guess, in, in a sense, is having Jewish leaders come to him and he's, he's kind of teaching, preaching. And what's great is at the end, or at the beginning of chapter 28 in Acts, Paul talks about hope, the hope of Israel. And so what Paul is doing is that his ending is secondary to the grander ending, the bigger ending that we've been introduced into Luke. And so what's great is that as Paul lives the Christian life, his story now is co-opted, in a positive sense, by the story of, of Jesus. 
So you actually don't have to read the ending of Paul's story because you already have it in Jesus' resurrection. So that, that, that's a very kind of powerful ending because Paul, in a sense, is now, you know, he's going to die. He's going to get his head chopped off. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't really matter because he's, he's part of a bigger story. So that's, that's important for us, too, because that gives Paul hope to then endure what will happen. Cause, and then everybody who's reading that story, too, they can, be, they can get their head chopped off and not worry about it. <laughs> All right, Marilyn. Well, right, but the end of the Ro- but the end of the Ro- yeah, you're right. The end of the Roman Empire was the end of civilization. Anything outside Rome's borders was barbaric. Right. No, he was dead. But the thing is, is that um, when Caesar talks, that word goes where to the end of the world. So, yeah, that's what I meant. So, yep, you're absolutely right. They, uh, and, and that's why Rome believed, not to get into too much of modern American foreign policy, but Rome believed that when they extended the borders, they were extending the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So war was a way of achieving peace and civilization throughout the world. That interesting. Okay, that's it. That's enough of that. Um, okay, so anyways, that's I wanted to end with that because uh, next week we'll talk about how uh, the story of Jesus can co-op your story. Um, okay, anyways, turning the world upside down, turning worlds. By the way, you know, I, I this this outline I have here. It's just as easy for me to print one copy as it is to print 25 copies. And I said to myself, this is not worthy. You don't really need to take this home today. This is actually not. But I'm going to use it. So I thought, hey, you know what? You're going to have it. There's not much detail. So most of the stuff that's going to be said today is right up here. <laughs> so um, you, can, uh, write, you can write down if you want. All right, the big, the big thing in the Gospel of John, right from the beginning, the, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing, well, after the prologue, after we know Jesus is the Word incarnate, he set up shop amongst the people. Then we have the John the Baptist, and we have these leaders from Jerusalem coming out to John the Baptist saying, you know, who are you? You've got you to let us know. We've got to give an account back. And um, John the Baptist is, you know, he, he kind of tells them, but he also tells them that he's, he's really nothing. The person that you're really going to be worried about is coming. And the identity of Jesus is very important. And it comes in the middle, John chapter 8, where the Pharisees, and this is a, another Jesus movie reference. If you have not seen the Gospel of John, it, was, it came out literally at the same time as the Passion of the Christ, so most people actually don't really know about it. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but um, Gospel of John is a real nice movie. Um, and it's, it's good for this very reason, because the Jewish leaders in this interpretation of the Gospel of John are not monolithic. And it comes out very specifically in John chapter 8, 
where Jesus, after the, the uh, scene of the adulterous woman, now takes on the identity question. And what's interesting is, um, this is where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And they come up and they say, they're so frustrated with Jesus, and he, they say, who are you? What's great is that oftentimes we will, our own interpretations, right, of this word, like, are they angry? But what's interesting in this, this film is that he is confused, frustrated, and a little bit broken. It's, it's very interesting face uh, acting for this man. And it's almost like he's at a point where he's going he's gonna to receive what Jesus says, but Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says, I am who I said I was, but I have a lot to say about you. And Jesus pushes really hard back against him, and it, it makes him angry. I mean, it, and then it, it turns these uh, Pharisees. Um, but the identity of Jesus is very important. So, And the reason why that's important is because the identity of Jesus versus the identity of, quote-unquote, Old Testament rabbinic faith or Jewish faith. So you've got to think about the Pharisees. Put yourself in this point now where they have studied, they have lived their entire life believing one thing. And believing one thing, it wasn't like they're believing something that's inconsequential. This goes to the very foundation of who they are as people, individuals and as a, as a, as a race, as people. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says that they're wrong. Everything you believed about your past, everything you believed about what God was doing in your life and where you're headed, actually is wrong. And the whole point of God working in your life is now, right now, standing in front of Jesus. And either you're going to believe the story that you thought was true your entire life and you've set up your entire identity around, or you're going to come and follow me. So there is a huge identity crisis going on. So try to put yourself, I mean, try to find something in your life now where you've, no matter how old you are, and I'm not going to ask how old any of you guys are, you have spent your entire life believing something that is important to you, and then now have it come crashing down or taken you know, the rug right out from under you. And Uh, like pilot, he says to Pilate, did you say this, or did someone tell you to say this? <laughs> yeah. No, um, in, the, in the Gospel of John, he, he, uh, only people say that about him. He doesn't actually say that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the, the notion of the Messiah, so now we'll, we'll apply it very specifically in the Messiah. What did they think about the Messiah? He was, uh, right, he's a political figure who's going to, and we get this in the Gospel of Luke, and we didn't mention this at all last week, but where the disciples say, now is the time that you're going to set up your, set up your kingdom? To establish David's throne, basically. Right. right. Is, is this going to be now? Right from the last challenge. So, um, so, yeah, exactly. So this is actually true. Now, this would be a more specific point about what they believed about the Messiah <laughs> and the whole notion that the Messiah was going to be a political figure who was going to come reestablish the throne of David and have Israel be a global superpower. 
And the first step that they, was going to happen was kick out Rome. And that was going to be a sign to the nations that they are now a political player on the global scene because they took care of Rome, who is the most powerful nation in the world. Uh, some do, some don't. Yeah, I mean, it's so fractured right now. I mean, some Jews don't even believe in God. So, uh, But yeah, you, you're different kinds of forms of the Zionist movement. Um, uh, uh, Chaim uh, Potak, I don't know if you ever, The, the Chosen, that's a good, that's a good novel. My, uh, Asher Lev, my name is Asher Lev, that's another one that deals with kind of modern understanding of Jewish identity. So I, those are great books, by the way. Uh, uh, I, I don't know exactly how, to, how you pronounce it. I, I say Kahim, but it's C-H-I-A-M, Potok. What did I say? All right. Potok, just like it's spelled, with a K. Pot oak. You could, I guess, depending on the emphasis on the... Yeah, the Wheaton Library has multiple copies of all those books. That's right, yeah, that's right on. But those are the two that I think are most popular of his. He's got, he's got a, like a sequel to Asher Lev, which was okay. All right, that's, that's a tangent. But anyways, the whole point is that um, I'm trying to create sympathy for the Pharisees a little bit because I think we've had these moments in our own life where uh, something that we really believe on believe is now challenged, but not challenged in a way, but that's really challenged, not ad hominem kind of challenge where like it's a personality attack and we just say whatever. It's like challenged in a more fundamental way that actually makes us think that maybe we are wrong and this person is right. Or it could be an event itself that reveals how we were so wrong. Um, but that's happening in the Gospel of John. Jesus is going to do something about that. Uh, let's just skip down to the, the thing. Let's go to Mary Magdalene. Um, we're not going to talk about the Beatitude in John. Because uh, it's, it's okay. Maybe we'll get back to it. But Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. This is a, this is a uh, very common Easter morning text. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, or Rabboni, which means teacher. Actually, it means my teacher. But uh, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went, announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. 
What's interesting about this is Mary Magdalene, this is, this is one of these moments in the life where we say, if we could only go back, if only we could go back to the way, I mean, things are so screwed up right now, I just wish we could go back to yesterday and things would be okay. Do-overs, do-overs. Do-overs, yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I mean, like, I think this is a, a married with children, Al Bundy. You know, I don't know if you guys ever watched that television show, but part of his character flaw was he lived in the past. He was a high school football star, and his entire identity was still lived through that, that time in his life. He was a shoe salesman, but his greatest moment in life was throwing this touchdown pass, but it actually, do you guys actually know him? I mean, it didn't actually happen. It, it, was, it was a figment of his imagination, actually. So he had an idealized understanding of what actually happened. But, okay, anyways, but he lived in the past. He was stuck in the past. Um, sometimes that happens whether it's in high school, college. As parents, a lot of times it's with when your children are young or, or you know. Um, I don't know if I even wrote that down. Uh, yeah, so, or, you know, somebody who believes that their best years are behind them. This is all in play right now with Mary Magdalene, and I'll show you why. See, Mary Magdalene's story is a lesson how things are not going to be the same. Okay, this is very important because Mary Magdalene is the woman who was, you know, had seven demons. Well, we don't learn that in John. We learn that in, in Luke where she has seven demons. Jesus, you know, casts them out. So Mary has a very serious story to tell about Jesus. And her best days of her life are with Jesus, how Jesus transformed her from this demon-possessed woman to this now follower of Christ. And when Jesus died, that was all taken away from her. She can't believe that life can be better than what it was. So when Jesus rises from the dead, she wants to take hold of him. In a sense, hey, Jesus is back. We can go back to the way things were. Oh, thank you. But can you imagine her, her feelings when Jesus says, don't touch me. Peter and Mary in the resurrection are painful characters. Imagine Mary's pain when Jesus says, don't touch me. And it's all she wants. She just wants to take hold of Jesus. And, and take hold of Jesus's. I mean, it's, you know, it's this worship position. And Jesus says, no. And then Peter, right, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Well, then feed my lambs. Third time, do you love me? And what is, Peter is heartbroken because he's now asked him, Three times, do you love me? Mary Magdalene and Peter both suffer pain in the restoration of the resurrection. And I, I, over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Bruzik has touched on that in the, the sermons, that the resurrection, the, the crucifixion and the pain of the crucifixion always has this strange way of coming back into the resurrection. But we see that kind of more explicitly here in John, where Mary Magdalene is crushed, well, 
we're, we're, we're presuming that. But Peter specifically is crushed when Jesus is restoring things in a better way. So, so you know, is, is she thinking Jesus is back? Things will be like they used to be. Things will be like the good old days. Right, Jesus? We're just going to go ahead and pick up where we left off. Um, oh, I think about this. I mean, I, 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 man, my, my kids are small, and I think about this already. I would like to keep my kids the way they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Well, this actually goes back to Al. I think this is why Al Bundy is such a, a very helpful character. The show is terrible, by the way, but uh, it's awful. And actually, I think that's part of, like, for some reason, from an academic perspective, that's what makes it so interesting is it's this terrible family. But yet, for some reason, it's a little cathartic, maybe. Hey, at least we're not this bad, maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, the, the reason why Al Bundy is uh, a helpful character in this, res- in this specific instance is that he has this idealized image of him in high school, but you find out that he never, he, he, you know, he threw an interception rather than throwing the touchdown pass. But his, the way he sees it, though, is different. And so, yeah, Kate, you're absolutely right, right? We think about our kids only in the moments of that great family vacation we had. <laughs> rather than the day in and day out, you know, I hate you, Dad, kind of moments. Yeah, yeah. Johnny down the street, his parents don't do this. If you loved me, so so oftentimes this this thing that hey, I wish we we could go back to the way it was, that's actually a lie. And so this is where Jesus is so helpful because Jesus is like, don't touch me, because Jesus is not going to get trapped into this lie. Part and part of the now, there's a lot of theological weight in this. In this, his response, I have to ascend to my father because what in his ascension, John and Luke's ascension stories are different. But I don't want to get bogged down in those details. Uh, they say the same thing, but they tell it a little differently. But um, is the the, the 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 Pentecost, the the giving of the Holy Spirit. So, anyways, so Jesus is, knows what's up, and he's gonna, I'm not going to be caught in that lie. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you something that will lead you in the way of truth, i.e. the Holy Spirit. But, anyways, so, um, Al Bundy's caught in a lie, our own thoughts about the way the good old days is a complete lie. In fact, I mean, I, as a younger person, in, in talking with the elderly, you know, Talk about back in the 1950s, the good old days, right? They talk from a generational perspective, maybe not a pers- personal perspective, but, you know, there was a lot of screwed up things in the 50s and 60s, 70s, and then even in my childhood, when I think about it in the 80s and the 90s, I'm like, you know, I, ha- I had a great childhood, but yet, at times, it, it wasn't really that great. So, I got to wonder, why would I change those problems for my current problems. Well, of course, because knowing what I know now, right, I won't have those problems if I were to relive those days. Well, yeah, well, there could be a new problem that pops up. 
Okay. But this is, this is what's going on, because um, what Mary is now realizing is that things have fundamentally changed. Jesus has risen from the dead, and part of his rising from the dead was part of the grander plan of who Jesus said he was from the beginning, which goes to the identity of, of the Messiah and the Son of God. Jesus came to take this world and lead it back into something new, not to take it back, or to lead it forward into something new, not to take it back. So it's a whole new existence. And the reality is, is uh, things have changed. I mean, that's the thing, is that as we get older, right? I can't pretend that my children are young. I can't treat them as if they're still small, because they aren't. I mean, things have changed. Things are different. Things have happened. And we can't ignore... Uh, you know, we can't ignore life. If we do, we become unrelatable. People can't relate to us. I mean, the caricature is somebody who's stuck in the 1970s, right? He's, he still wears the, the polyester. They become unrelatable. I can't relate to this person. What's going on? They're a little different because they're not living in the same world as I'm living in. Kate. Right. Uh, very confused. That that's that's an extreme version. That's right. No, actually, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that because um, whatever level it's at, we all have experience just like Kate just described. Um, where does this happen right now very often? But in a positive sense, normally. Facebook. <laughs> Hooking up with what? The old high school friends. I, uh, I sign into AOL Instant Messenger, yes. I'm one of those guys. I don't know if anybody else does in the world, but here at St. John, we do. I don't, I don't Does anyone use that anymore? Your, your husband, yes, uh, and I, and uh, a few others. I know. I know. The thing is now, all we have to do is open the door. I, I mean, our instant messaging really should be just opening the door and just shouting because we're not going to disturb anybody besides ourselves. But um, that's a whole other issue. Okay. But... Um, you know, signing at AOL, you have this, like, news feed that comes from American Online. And, and I, there was a story probably a year ago or so that talked about how this happens, where people hook up with old high school friends on Facebook. And they literally pick up right where they left off, and they're 40, they're 50, and yet... They're going back to their days of high school. Oh, yeah. Positively and negatively. So, I mean, so these, uh, so what Kate just described and what happens on Facebook are all symptomatic of this reality. But the thing is, though, is that when we kind of talk about it in this way, we're all like, ew, we're like, that's weird. But the thing is, though, is the people who actually engage in that are probably fairly 
you know, normal people. I mean, you know, they're all as screwed up as the rest of us, but I mean, they're, they're not any weirder as, as we are. But, so for some reason, we believe these lies about our past and how things can just, just you know, even though th- something has happened, something's changed the way we relate, we just pretend it doesn't happen and we pick up where we left off. That happens. But Jesus here now says, no. Because Jesus works in a real world and says, I've just died and risen from the dead, and yet I still have a, my plan is not finished. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Because not only is Jesus' identity important, but the Pharisees always ask, where are you from? Aren't you from? Yes. But we all know where Jesus is from in the Gospel of John, right? Where is he really from? Yeah, that's the whole prologue. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, blah, 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 right? Pastor Brzezik says blah, blah, blah. I guess I want blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, is that we know Jesus is from, and now so he hasn't actually gone back to where he said he was going to go, and that's ascending to the Father. So, um, so Jesus is not going to get caught up in that lie because he sees this bigger life that he's a part of and wants to lead the world into. Um, But Mary's learning, no matter how painful it is, though. That's the thing, that Jesus' resurrection doesn't mean going back to the way it was, but that your best days are in front of you precisely now because of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens here in the next section. Jesus gives the Holy (laughs) Spirit out to the, the disciples and thus... We see it in a little bit more extreme form in the God, uh, Acts chapter 1 with the flames on uh, the to- uh, flames of tongues. Tongues of flames on the heads of, of the church. Okay. Um, right. Of course. Right. All through, all three, uh, like once again, the the gospel stories, the role of the wo- the woman, is is so essential. And I think I've mentioned this before because men have a problem understanding things, right? They're a little thick-headed, and women just are kind of quicker on that thing. So, you know, he, it's the way God made us. But um, the other aspect too, though, what's interesting is John is a circular gospel, so it's very Jewish in that respect. It's not linear. So Jesus said at an earlier time, the sheep are going to scatter. And lo and behold, what do we see? In the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The sheep scatter. But Jesus also said, especially in this last gospel reading from this last Sunday, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm going to call you yeah, friends or brothers, which is a familiar understanding. Same difference. And lo and behold, now we see this happening. These are, some, these are things that keep coming around, coming around, coming around. And I wasn't gonna, actually, I wasn't going to touch on this, but since you brought it up, it's, um, that happens in our life a lot of times, where something might happen. Some huge issue in our life happens, whether it be uh, you know, the high school version of a breakup or a death in the family or whatever. And where oftentimes we want to um, just put it back here. 
sometimes it feels like we keep coming back to it. But what, jo- what John does and a lot of the Hebrew scriptures do is that when you're coming back to it, it's another opportunity to remember rightly, which I think we talked about earlier in the year. It's, so in a sense, it's like a scab. So think about it like your sin that's happened, right? Oh, I got a big scab on my arm, right? And you're, as a parent, what do you tell your kids? Don't pick it. It won't ever heal. (laughs) So sometimes when we come around, we come back to that little, yeah, you'll get a scar. You pick at it. But the temptation, though, is in John, is when we keep coming back to something, we want to do that. But what Jesus does is we can come back to something like what's happened or back to this moment, and we actually... Don't pick it. Because um, we have a chance of remembering rightly. And remembrance in the Gospel of John is important, the whole, especially with, related to the Holy Spirit, because Jesus says in John 14, I'm going to send my helper. That might be, I don't know if that's the Gospel reading coming up for Pentecost, but I'm sure it is at one of these three years. I'm going to send a helper to you. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to help you Remember everything I've said. So the Holy Spirit is the one who, so when you come back to that wound, because there's another instance where Jesus shows a wound. That's right. Is it there to put him back on the cross, to reinfect it, to pick that wound? Or is it to remember why that wound exists? To remember rightly, right? To remember that he died, it's a sign of love. Or or something special happening. Obviously, when sin has happened in your life. But forgiveness comes, and now it's a whole new environment. It's a whole new space now. Um which is very tricky. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a very uh, tough thing. Lindsay? Right, because uh, of the Pentecost that happens in between. So, so yeah, that's a good question. That's where I, uh, the, it's actually connected, so that's good. He says, I haven't ascended yet, because when he ascends to the Father, now he's ready to pour out his Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will help them remember the story that Jesus came from heaven, came down, and went back to heaven. He hasn't finished his back to heaven yet, so that's why he doesn't want Mary to touch him. Well, that's where Luke and John are a little different, and that's where John is a, is a circle where these things come around. Because because uh, Jesus has given out the Holy Spirit. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Read nine of the Holy Spirit. So um, that's that's without you know spending a whole time. But that's the simple answer. But basically, Jesus finishes the story sometime in between you know seeing Mary and and then seeing the disciples, and he gives the Holy Spirit out. Because the Holy Spirit's job, like I said before, is to help them remember the whole story, the whole, the whole reason why Jesus is there. 
And if he hasn't completed this or hasn't completed that part of the story yet, then he's he's not going to send the Holy Spirit. But now that he is, now that they have the Holy Spirit, oops, um, and when yeah, so the next question would be, well, Thomas wasn't there. So hopefully, if you guys are thinking, it's okay to ask that. Is that now that Holy Spirit is given? It's given to the world. I mean, it's it's yeah, that's where. Because you could ask the same thing about the one in Acts and Pentecost. Well, hey, not, was every, every, everybody, everybody wasn't there, so does that mean they don't get the Holy Spirit? No. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's right. It just happened in between uh, verse uh, 18 and 20. This is only uh, the day. That's right. Well, now we're getting into the temporal, eternal. Anybody ever watch Quantum Leap? <laughs> I did. I love that show. Um, what's that? Yeah, I, uh, there's very strange things I like. Yes, right. Um, yeah, that's all I can say, is that it happens between 18 and 19. Well, we don't have the Ascension Day in John, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave John as a book unto itself. This goes back to what we had talked about before. We always like to use the other... There's a, a her, well, boy, Jiminy Crickets. Uh, hermeneutical circle we learned in seminary. So if we want to learn about a verse, what we do is we look, we look at the verse before and after. If we don't understand it, then we keep going. I think really, realistically speaking, you can probably understand a specific verse without ever leaving a specific book of the Bible. So I don't think you need to use Luke to help you understand John. So that's where, that's where Donna, that's going to blow your mind, I understand. <laughs> Because we, we're so temporal. We, we think day in and day out. And that's how our lives are working. But for time and space, uh, for Jesus, he's not restricted by that anymore. And when you enter into the resurrection, that's the place where you're specifically not restricted by that. Because that's a whole new reality happening. Exactly. What in the world is going on there? They were Yep, and remember, this is, uh, now if we want to use John too, this happens in those going through the locked doors is after the verse 18. So it happens after 18 and 19. So he's now in this new, new existence, this whole new resurrection life. And what's great about that, it's a good segue, is because we have another resurrection in the Gospel of John. Lazarus. See, what's interesting, I like to point those two. Lazarus is about going back to the way things were. His resurrection was that way. And Jesus' isn't. Because what happens to Lazarus after he is raised from the dead? And then what happens to him about, I don't know, 20, 40 years later? He's dead. So that goes back to the way things were. He's back in the same old 
dead situation. Do you think they want to try to kill him? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, uh, you know, to be honest, I don't know church tradition, so I don't know if he was killed by somebody or he died of old age. I don't know if we actually even know. Regardless, so he's dead. Well, all we know is they were thinking about that. We actually don't know anything. If it, Lazarus doesn't even know that. So he could live life. Well, it's not going to be the good old times anyways because he loves Jesus and Jesus dies and that, that's, a big, that's a big bummer in his life. Um, but the reality is, though, is that he doesn't enter into a new existence. He's still back in the old existence. He's still back in the old way. And, and so that's where Mary Magdalene, her own experience now, right? Hey, you did this for Lazarus, now you're back. We're going we're gonna to go and have a great big party today because that's what we had with Lazarus. We're going to eat a big meal and everything's going to be okay. We're just going to keep doing what we used to do. Because there's also another, another aspect of this that Mary Magdalene might not know because we don't know if she knows what. That people are trying to kill Jesus. So, again, she's not privy to the whole situation. Anyways, so that, that's a whole other thing. But the, the reality is, is that these two resurrection stories are very instructive in our desires to understand how life can be fundamentally different and even better than what we've thought about, or like the good old days that we've even experienced. Um, yeah. Yes, Mary or Carol or whoever wants to go. Yep. Right. So now we have the uh, the, the the change or the wrestling. This is actually let's bring it back to Kate's story. Her and her father, her sisters and her father. They're. They're trying to figure out what in the world, how do we respond to dad when he still treats us like he's, you know, we're still like teenagers. Now these disciples have a struggle now because they go back to their old life, but yet they're not going back to their old life. <laughs> um Everybody here, once we, we experience the resurrection, do we, all of a sudden do we, you know, does Beth now not like help out being a, you know, she's not work as a nurse? Does she take up, I don't know, painting or something? <laughs> Each of us now go back to the, the place maybe that we were before, but now we're not, we're in the world, but now we're not of the world. So what happens here in the disciples is that they're going back to the way they were because, A, well, they don't have any instructions, right? But also, though, again, this is where it's a little different. The ending of the Gospel of John is, is a different than, um, you know, Luke and Matthew. You know, you're going to go out and into the world and do these things. Is that, so it's very instructive for us when we experience the resurrection Oftentimes, we're not sent to go to the ends of the world. We just have to go back to being a bank teller, or we have to go back to you know, being a mom. So on one sense, things haven't changed. But in the fundamental sense, things have changed. 
And that is now, so that, re that actually relates to the restore restoration of Peter. Way back in chapter 1, Jesus calls P Simon Peter. But now in chapter 21, he's back to being labeled Simon. Well, why? Because the restoration is not complete. There's a, there's, there's a, a now and not yet sense. Right? We've we, we all been risen from the dead, right? Because we've been baptized. The Apostle Paul in chapter 6 says, death is now behind us. But yet, if you ask, uh, if you ask anybody who's not a Christian, uh, you know, each one of us in this room will die. Well, I can't die because I've already died. Well, when I go to a funeral, I see a dead person. Yeah, I know, but, you know, but I'm not really dead. Uh, John chapter 11, right? Though, though he dies, he, he doesn't die, he lives, right? So, um, so this is where the struggle of seeing now, which we touched on in the Gospel of Luke, right? But in John, I guess uh, we could probably turn back to that. Uh, the Beatitude in John, truly being blessed is in believing, not seeing. We have, right, the two disciples who go into the tomb. John sees what? Nothing. And believes. Mary sees what? And doesn't know. So this is where we're kind of peculiar. We have a whole new way of understanding or seeing things in the resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, we, we, that, that's, you know, we, we talked about that. Um, so you see nothing, but you see what you have spent your entire life desiring to see. Okay? That's why we can go to a funeral and say, yeah, this, dead, this guy's dead, but he's alive. People are like, what? This is strange. This is weird. Like my microphone. Um, and at the same time, we can see a living person and we could say they are dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Dead in your trespasses. So, you know, uh, the resurrection gives us a whole new way of understanding things and seeing things. And those who are truly blessed. Now, we have to take Jesus' word, right? Because, you know, I like to be blessed. I'm hoping that everybody else likes to be blessed. And if we were going to follow Jesus and obey Jesus and live the Jesus life, then guess what? I'm not seeing anything. But a little part of us in the inside, right? We want to see that body. We want to see Jesus walking around. But if we want to be blessed, then we will not see that. I, I mean, you can't make it up. All right, this is where sometimes new life doesn't make sense. So, oh, and we get this nice little thing at, at the end of verse 20. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay. But these are written so that you may what? See Jesus? No. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you live by believing, not by seeing. 
And what's interesting too, though, is that we presume that if we see, we can know what we need to know. But at the very end of chapter 21, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So there's a little presumption on our part that, hey, if I get to see this, I can believe. But guess what? That's the wrong presumption because your mind can't even understand it. You can't take it. So the Gospel of John helps us out and realize, oh, this is all I get. And that's actually exactly what we need in order to have life in Jesus' name. So, um, so the, yeah, this uh, chapter 21, well, going back to your question, Carol, is that chapter 21 is now, we're playing out what chapter 20 is describing. Uh, there's a whole other Eucharistic uh, uh, notion in chapter 21, too, but we don't have time for it, but Jesus is the host. Hey, how many fish do you have? Wait a second, Jesus is already cooking food. So they bring the meal, but Jesus is actually the one who's in charge. Yeah. Um, if you don't have any fish, put your net on the other side. Oh, it's got to be Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives, the one who prepares, and the one who distributes. Um... But I think the restoration of Peter is probably most helpful for us because it's painful. I mean, have you ever screwed up and you really want somebody, I mean, you screwed up towards someone you love, right? And you just, you want them to know that you, even though you screwed up, you still love them. And the worst thing that they could say to you is, do you love me? And you're like, oh. it's like opening that wound again. I mean, I think about, like, you know, with your kids, right? I mean, yeah, sometimes you're a little short with them. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and your kid now, they might not say, do you love me? But they might, you know, they might say it without saying it. And you're just like, oh. you know. I screwed up huge, and I, I really want that to be done. But yet, your, your child can't just do that. There needs to be a process. There needs to be a restoring. You know, ice cream often helps. I mean, we can usually... <laughs> but, um, but this is what happens with Jesus and Peter, I think. Peter loves Jesus so much. But yet, at the time where he was to show his love the most, he didn't. And he's heartbroken. And, and Jesus says, do you love me? The reason why, you know, Jesus knows he loves him. But it's for the sake of Peter that there's these three questions. Because by these three questions, he undoes the three denials there actually has to be a making wrong right that happens in, in the resurrection. So as we as resurrected people, as Christians, 
we will experience these moments of pain and suffering that will actually make us experience real life. And that's the irony of the resurrection. Because we think, hey, we're, <laughs> we're alive now. We're raised from the dead. Life is going to be great, easy street. But if you look over the last seven weeks, it has not been easy in the resurrection. It's been hard. We, Thomas had a struggle. The, um, I mean, the Good Shepherd narrative. Good Shepherds die. Sheep get scattered. They get eaten by wolves. Um, the last two weeks with Pastor Bruzek, obviously, has been real. I mean, there's this very strange uh, thing. But the great thing is, though, and I'll finish with that and we'll be done. The Gospel of Mark, Jesus never shows up, right? In the Gospel of John, Jesus never leaves. There is no, there's no point where he's like, okay, guys, we'll see you later. And, and so that's the, great, that's the great part of the ending of the Gospel of John is now Jesus, he shows up, but he doesn't go anywhere. And the great thing, too, though, is that there's, there's not enough room in the world to fill all the books of what he does, which means then what? Things are being written now. Um, and next week we'll talk about poesis. Poesis is the word for making in Greek, but it's also the word we get poetry. And the poesis of God making your life new is, a, is actually a, it's a poetic term. So we'll talk about applying Jesus' resurrection to your, your story in terms of uh, poesis. All right. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, so next week's the last one.